0: Well, hello, everybody. I hope this, um, wherever you are listening to this recording, that you are having an awesome day. Um, currently, it's a beautiful sunny day, and um, a little about what's going on in my life today. So, um, today I am officially the mother of a teenager. My oldest turns 13. Um, so, we have a really big party planned today. So, um, this is kind of my calm before the storm, so to speak. So, uh, First of all, you know, welcome. Um, this is the third and final of our three calls um, for the Thinking for a Change series. Um, I hope that you have been blessed by these calls. I know I have in just preparing them uh, and, and also having discussions with a few of you throughout the last few weeks and talking about some of these really big ideas. So as is our custom, Uh, Let's do a couple things to really prepare ourselves for this call. So the first being, what is your goal or your purpose for listening to this recording today? What is your goal or your purpose? Go ahead and write that down. Is it something maybe in your personal life or something in your professional life or maybe with a relationship Or perhaps it could be something that you know is holding yourself back. Whatever that might be, write that down right now. Also, just take a moment right now, uh, maybe even close your eyes and think about what are you truly grateful for today? What are you truly grateful for? What are you thankful for? I know for myself, I'm, I'm just truly thankful for the last 13 years that I've had with my son to get to know him. And I'm truly grateful that I get to be his mom and see where he goes in life, right? And I'm also just extremely thankful that, um, you know, we're having a pool party today and the sun is shining and it's going to be a beautiful day. And once I'm done with my work today, I will have the rest of the day to just rest. I'm truly grateful and thankful for those moments. So now that we've kind of set our intention for today, um, the the title of this call is The Physiology of Fear. The Physiology of Fear. So what's actually going on inside your body when fear shows up? So I'm going to give you a lot of information today. Um, So you're going to want to take a lot of notes. Um, If if you're listening to this and um, you're driving or walking or something like that, just know that you're probably going to want to listen to this again later when you can stop and take some notes, okay? Um, Some of it, I'm not trying to be a science teacher. I do think that there is some value in understanding what is going on physically inside your body that controls your thinking, okay? Okay. So that's where we're going with this. Um, First of all, I want to start with a little bit of an activity, okay? So I'm going to ask you to do something real quick. Uh, If you're able to do this, you know, you're not driving, do this. So go ahead and and stand up. Right now, wherever you are, go ahead and stand up. So what I want you to do is, is to recruit what's called your occipital lobe the part that's connected to your eyes, right? I want you to start just looking around the room or the environment that you're in. Start scanning around the room and looking at the lights, right? Look behind you. Look at the floor. And now I want you to recruit it even more. I want you to focus up and maybe look out a window, Look at the energy sources in the room you're in right now. Now, if you want, you can touch somebody or something next to you, and that recruits another part of your brain. Use the, the parietal lobe, which is the frontal lobe, right? When you, when you look at something and you touch something, you're using that frontal lobe of your brain. Now, what I'd like you to do It's just take a step back and literally, by God's grace, applaud yourself. Applaud yourself. Now, I know that sounds kind of hokey, but um, how often do we do that, right? How often do we just say, thank you, God, that my body is working right now? Okay, so you can go ahead and sit down. I'm going to ask you in these next few moments, to use another part of your brain. So I want you to take four breaths in, right, in through your mouth. Okay, so let's do that. Breathe in one, two, three, four. And then you're going to breathe out and count to five. One, two, three, four, five. Very rhythmic. Let's do that again. In, one, two, three, four, and out, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, one more time. Breathe in, one, two, three, four, and out, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, if you haven't yet, go ahead and sit down and just smile, right? Now think about this. How many of you felt a little bit of gratitude and appreciation for just being here on this call? Now give yourself a little bit of gratitude and appreciation for maybe the week or the weekend that you've had. How many of you feel gratitude and appreciation for taking the time out of your schedule to invest in yourself? Because I promise you one thing, that when I'm through talking today, you'll feel even more gratitude for the most important person in this room. And who is that? Who's the most important person in this room? Well, right now, it's you. You see, gratitude is significant. Gratitude is a God-given right for all of us to experience. Now, as a speaker, as a trainer, and as a coach, I couldn't do what I do without gratitude and appreciation. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't be really good at my job without gratitude. And it's very interesting to see that the very acts of gratitude and appreciation, they kind of set up a neurochemical response in your brain. Right? And this neurochemical response just obliterates fear. It obliterates fear. Now, when I talk about this, I want you to know something. Um, so let's get a few things straight before we go on. I'm not giving you added goal information, okay? I'm not giving you a wisdom to pass down. You've heard a lot of these things before. I'm actually giving you um, what's called evidence based medicine. So what does that mean? That means that researchers have actually done MRIs, um, magnetic nuclear imaging, and they've done um, even more extensive MRAs um, or angiography looking at the brain. So they've done um, all kinds of tests and biopsies of the brain looking at the neurochemicals. When they put them through spectra imaging, they found out what's actually going on. They've looked at um, multiple behavioral studies and actually have been able to see, um, not just with an average population, but all of the world states that it, it, it kind of has some common thinking. Um, so this is all to help you realize that there is a physiology behind all of this, right? This isn't just a hokey idea. There's actual Um, all over the world, massive amounts of research and data and evidence showing that this um, connection we're going to talk about actually happens. So what I'm saying to you is that your brain cannot hold gratitude and fear at the same time. But you've got to be in the moment to really feel gratitude. Okay? So your brain cannot, cannot, it's absolutely impossible for your brain to feel fear and gratitude at the same time. And in order to feel gratitude, you need to be in the moment. So maybe, maybe you have um, what I term an, an internal roommate, right, that, that keeps talking inside your head. The one who only has problems. The one that incessantly talks when you're in the car by yourself. The one that's in the bathroom or the shower that talks to you. You can't get a moment when that internal roommate just keeps yapping at you, right? So I'm going to give you some interesting pearls, something that may assist you as um, leaders because this is a, um, a call full of leaders. You wouldn't be on this call or listening to this recording if you weren't a leader. And as you know, leaders, there's, there's nothing that strikes fear into the hearts of a leader than public speaking, right? Um, be it 1,500 people, 300 people, 10 people, or two people, this is the most common fear in the world. When I speak at, at conferences, I talk to so many people. And I see all these potential kind of energy tornadoes of guilt and blame, of judgment and criticism, possibly being redirected to me, right at me. And what do you think happens to me? Well, before I get up to talk, my pupils dilate. My peripheral vision goes central, kind of tunnel vision. Um, It feels cold in the place that I'm in. My my lips kind of get colder, and I can't digest food very well. My stomach um, actually stops digesting, and I get just a little queasy in my stomach. My What's called the parasympathetic nervous system fires, and it is completely overtaken by the sympathetic nervous system. And that is the actual physiology of fear. And and what happens? Well, how do I stop this cascade of physiology? The first thing is just understanding that it happens, right? That it's not something I'm choosing, it's just something that is natural. And how am I able to turn it into different thinking? Well, the so one thing that I've been able to do is is cultivating this idea of gratitude. And because I do what I just told you to do, where I do kind of this um, centering exercise, where I'm just looking around the room, I'm looking at all the things around me, and I'm doing those breathing exercises, right, that rhythmic breathing, four in, five out, four in, five out. And I'll show you some other things that you can do as well. But I've, I've actually gotten to appreciate and feel the gratitude that I'm telling you about. And that's how I'm able to get up there and, and speak. So let me see. It was basically 53 seconds before I could get each one of you at the very beginning to stand up and applaud yourself. Right? I mean, it was pretty quick. And I hope that you actually did that. Um, so I know that you... Um, specifically, are results-based. All you want is results. And I know that because I know many of you. And I know that leaders are more results-based. And in terms of life, life it, it's either reasons or results. And the reasons aren't really excuses. Um, it's really Reasons really are excuses, right? It's, it's why something didn't work out. It's a justification about why it didn't work out. And it's being not responsible for the results in your life, right? So when you're looking at your intention and your results, you're looking at your reasons or your excuses. Everybody in this group is results-based. And I've talked to many of you, and and also there's a lot of people that kind of control a lot of different things here, right? Maybe you're you're a little more controlling. There are people here that control um, businesses, that control pastoral congregations, that control sales forces or classrooms. But let me tell you the interesting thing about control. I heard a speaker. Uh, once explained control and um, the idea of being a surgeon and maybe you're not a surgeon but listen to this example of control and the brain so he said being a surgeon um, he was trained in the 1980s where there were not many surgeons and at that time they were basically looking to get surgeons and it was a whole control thing right he described how um, he he did you know many cases six or seven hour cases, um, maybe reconstructing a nose or breaking a rib or abdominal wall reconstruction using all kinds of means. Um, he, he talks about how he used um, growth factors that made stem cells that, you know, actually changed tissues. And he did all this through very small cosmetic incisions, right? So he he talked about the great work he did doing facial rejuvenations that take six, seven, eight hours, um, all under um, what's called awake wake anesthesia, right, so people weren't actually asleep. And he says there's, there's something magical that happens when you work with your hands. When you work with your hands, you, you secrete oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin. So these chemicals, you're actually bathing your whole lipid system in neurochemicals that make you feel good. But when you're a control guy like a surgeon or maybe you and me, right, we're often wrong, but we're never in doubt. (laughs) Think about that. We're often wrong, but we're never in doubt. (laughs) So when you're a control person, it's interesting that, that even though um i feel good after amazing fun work right like speaking or or when i'm with a coaching client and they they get something and they change the direction of their life i want more i i want more because that whole um chemical reaction all those really great hormones are being secreted in my system right um it's kind of like um, I want to be a conquering pharaoh going back to Egypt to his queen and children and his troops and lay it on them, right? Lay on the love. Um, it, it, it's never enough because why? Because that roommate, that internal roommate of mine, keeps telling me that I need more. I need more. And it's interesting what has happened to me. So this is a great example. Um, a couple of months ago when I went home after an amazing speaking event, it was one of those events where you go and you speak multiple times, but it's not just the speaking. It's, it's realizing that I was so in the moment that the the small kind of impromptu activities or little mini coaching sessions that I had, it was, it was just powerful. And then the connections I made with people throughout, um, the sessions and then in between and at the meals, it, it just was one of those really awesome moments of, man, I love what I do, right? And so I went home and I wanted my family to know that I conquered, that I won, right? I wanted them to tell me, Hey, I love you, right? And and I'm home and and then to go, Wow, mom, you know, um, that's really cool. And do you think that happened? No. They go, well, mom, um, okay, great. When's lunch? Right? And there was my husband, uh, and he says something like, you know, I want you to come into the kitchen. I want you to see something for a minute. Now, you made a smoothie the morning that you left and and you made a mess and then I'm I'm just tired of cleaning up after you and I'm not going to do this anymore. Now that's a little bit controlling, right? <laughs> but in an instant I got it. It's a lot better to be inspirational than to be controlling. It's a lot better to be inspirational than to be controlling. I love going and speaking and training and coaching because I get to be inspirational. It's not about control. It's not about me, right? And for all of us here, it's significant to kind of learn the context of what's happening in your brain and your body. And I want you to know that whenever you make a sincere effort to be more conscious and aware, you take responsibility in terms of being positive. So if you remember some of our, our other two calls, really we're trying to increase our awareness, we're trying to be more conscious of what's going on in us, not just in our brain, and our body, but in our awareness. And we're trying to become more responsible for our life. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some evidence-based medicine. Um, if you make that decision to be more positive, something interesting happens. You can call it the law of fractions. Um, maybe you've seen the secret with all those great effects. You can call it the law of positive power or positive thinking. Or you can call it the way that it sounds. The, the secretion of neurotrophic brain derives growth hormones. Um, so think about it. Who created neurotrophic brain hormones? Well, God did, right? So he called it into the light, right? And he created it. And it comes and assists you. So when you choose to be positive, when you make that initial effort, when you decide to be positive, A neurochemical response begins in your brain. It's proven. It's already done. You're supposed to be on this call, right? And each and every one of you is on a useful journey. It's a journey with an interesting destination. Um, It's one of correction, one of completion towards learning your life lessons, right? So you're perfect in this moment. You're the best person you've ever been, and you're still developing. And your journey is living your journey, and my journey is living my journey. And one of the interesting things is that your relationships, from an evidence-based medicine kind of way, says that your relationships are supposed to take you on that journey in the most effective and efficient way possible. There's, there's always um, a hidden gift in our relationships, a significant hidden gift. And that gift, as evidence-based medicine shows, um, is where and how we have yet to transform so we can become all that we can be. And it's in our relationships that we get that. So it's important to embrace our fear, and our relationships shows, you know, some different things. So what we know in terms of our relationships is that it shows us where we're lacking And what belief systems that we need to let go so think about this think about the first time um, maybe with your your significant other um, that you realize that you are on this journey together you know my husband actually yesterday and I just we um, just celebrated our 15 year anniversary I'll tell you this really funny story because I know many of you will appreciate it. We actually joked that it's our 30th anniversary because, um, you know, when you plan a wedding and there's so many details to look into, things get overlooked. And my husband had the one job of um, going to the, the court and getting the marriage license, right? Um, and he didn't realize that there was a three-day waiting period. And so what happened was the Thursday before we were supposed to get married on Saturday, he went and they said, oh, I'm so sorry you can't get married. Now think about this from my husband's standpoint. Here we are, we have 250 guests coming in all from out of town. Everything is going smoothly except the court tells you that you can't get married. So we knew something was wrong when we pulled in the driveway, and here he is with his hands in his pocket and his head down, and he's kind of kicking at rocks. And you know, and and the fear within him um, just was too much to handle. And of course, you know, in, in trademark style, when you're in love and you're having all of these positive hormones rushing throughout your body, you just don't even think about it, right? And I didn't get all worked up about it. Um, I did say, hey, you know, we need to we need to figure out what we're going to do, and so. We went and we talked to our pastor, and he said, you know, we can definitely do this ceremony. We just won't tell people that, that this is what's going on. And so that's what we did. And so August 12th, or excuse me, August 10th is our, our wedding anniversary. We actually got married on that day. However, a couple of days later, we had to um, kind of scrounge up whoever we could that was working in town and say, hey, come, come sign our marriage license. Uh, so that we could actually go and, and be legal. And so August 12th is our legal wedding anniversary. So every year we have two anniversaries. And I, I just look back on that and I think, you know, my husband is not known for planning ahead, right? For counting, you know, the cost and, and figuring out what needs to be done ahead of time. He's very much in the moment. And I am more of the person who does plan ahead, who likes to have a little more control, and who is trying to cultivate a spirit of um, being more in the moment, right? And so I look at that and I think, man, um, that part of our relationship shows that this relationship is helping us both transform, right? Right. Now, in that moment of fear, we both had to kind of embrace that and say, okay, we get it. There's a problem to fix. Let's do it together, right? So we're becoming more of who we're supposed to be on our journey together because these things are happening. And I am realizing that, yes, there are certain things that need to be done and planned ahead for but many times, like, like the rest of today, I'm setting aside a large amount of time just to be with friends and family and see what happens, see what conversations we can have. So, in, in terms of relationships, um, relationships really show us where we're lacking um, and what we can do to become better, right? And sometimes they show us that we have um, a belief system that's not compatible with who we want to become. And the interesting thing about belief systems is that almost always they're born in a condition of fear, um, born in an atmosphere of fear. So what belief will tell you, it's basically, um, it it limits you as to how much you want to experience in life. It will limit you in terms of how much habit you want to have. Um, how are you going to sell yourself, right, if you're stuck in your beliefs? Furthermore, a belief will sometimes create the false context of, oh, it can't be real. It it can't really be love. Or maybe you've heard this one, it just can't be done. And in particular, I'll talk about a belief that's true for somebody I love more than anything else. So I, I can't be a leader And use my intuitive self because I'm not a good woman, right? That was a false belief that I had so many years ago. I can't be a leader and use my intuitive self because I'm not a good woman. Now, that whole I'm not a good woman thing is an illusion itself. But for me to believe that, I set up this neurochemical response in my brain to actually make it happen, right? So it wasn't real, But because I kept telling myself that, there was this chemical response going on inside me that made it seem real. I actually changed my reality because of the beliefs. So certain beliefs just need to go away, right? Um, I have a friend of mine, and um, this happened a couple of weeks ago where – now, we've known each other for 20-plus years, right? Right? We've we've broken bread together with our families. Actually, I'm going to um, probably see her a little bit later today. Um, we've also done some work together, right? Our our families have gotten together and, and we go kind of back and forth to each other's houses, um, and we we've gotten to we've gone to tons of events and vacations together, right? Now, her belief as she's um, kind of in this process of getting divorced, right, is either you're with me or you're on his side, okay? Either you're with me or you're on his side. Now, her husband has, has taken some of my classes and listened to some of my teaching calls, and he shared with someone who um, it kind of came back to me about what he'd learned, right? And See, I would be a hypocrite. Um, I wouldn't be a good Christian if I took sides with either one of them. And so we had this conversation about that. And my friend said, well, you know, she she drew the line, let's say, right? She drew the line. um, She cut me off. And um, after 20 plus years, decided that, you know, that was enough. Um, now I know I'm going to see her a little bit later, but it's not going to be like it was before because this, this is an example of her belief, right? You're either with me or you're on his side that is actually changing her reality. Now I had, I don't have less love for her because she has this belief or because she's making these choices based on that belief. But it's kind of sad because that belief is is changing her. And another example, um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, um, she passed away many years ago, actually, before I had kids, right after I got married. And um, she had another belief system, right? Um, My grandmother's name was Naomi, and she passed away just before she was 70. Um, She was a cross between... Um Judge Gloria and Edith Bunker um if you're younger, google those you'll you'll understand. um Her bite was much sharper than mine, right? She lived independently for forty plus years um, and whenever I was with her, she lived in the past and she talked incessantly about what's been done to her by her children and her siblings and people in the church and on and on, and and the misery, right? And how could it happen? How could her kids, you know, take sides against her? And her belief was that if you don't have fame, misery, and drama, you don't have a life, right? That was her thing. And how do you think people related to that? I mean, really, think about that. Be honest. Um, it's important to move forward in life, right? It's important to let go of some of those belief systems that, that are kind of holding you back. Think about that. Think about the kind of life that she she had with that belief system. So, Let me give you an example of something that you could try even right now, right? A noble experiment for three days' time. So get ready to write this down. Um, How about when you go out and you call your husband or your wife or your children, your relatives, or maybe some good friends? Um, You call your your college friends. You call your employees. How about when you deal with people at Starbucks, right? So notice. The relationship just notice what happens and especially notice when it goes over to the negative side right that's all you're gonna do you're gonna do this for three days you're just gonna notice things just observe now we all I'm including myself in this too have to overcome our blame our judgment and our evaluation right the internal voice always talking to you and 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 the way that we do this is by noticing what happens it's called observational thinking you can't change those negative thought patterns those negative belief systems without understanding them first because 92% of the time what what makes this happen is anger right Lack of self-worth and selfishness. And by the way, you take all of these on the highway, right, when you're driving, and they lead to fear. Um, You need to know what fears are meant for. So when when you have a bad interaction during the next three days, stop. Breathe. Right? Those four in, five out, just breathe. Another thing you can do is, is you can take your own pulse and just keep evaluating and, and observing and figure out what part of me is selfish, what part of me is angry, what part of me has micro self-esteem or self-worth. Obviously, it'll be some other people who have some issues too, right? I mean, we're not taking blame away from anybody else, but for the most part, just look at yourself. Right? Just look at yourself, and that context will open up a miracle for you. It will open up the opportunity to create the neurochemical changes in your brain that allow you to go out there and lead and teach and be an influencer and become the critical capital mass you want to obtain. But more than that, it's going to be a transformation for you. So the hidden gift of relationships is your own personal transformation. So, you know, a lot of my work lately has been um, dealing with challenging people, um, whether it be in a classroom setting, a business setting, or in relationships, um, personal or professional, and really helping people to understand that the relationship is there for you to transform yourself. And when you have that focus, you no longer look at the other person and think, "Wow, they're really being a jerk right now." Right? You can look at it and say, "What do I need to do to change myself?" And you can also look at it as an opportunity to figure out, "Okay, this person is bothering me right now. What what is what is it that's actually making me angry? What is it that's causing this reaction in me?" Right? It's not just in your psyche and your thinking. It's this actual neurochemical response that's happening in your your body. What is it that's causing that? And when you can observe that and really think through that, um, you can begin to change your belief system, much like we talked about on the last call, so that you can transform yourself. Think about that for a minute. So I'll say it again, the hidden gift of relationships is your own personal transformation. And really, this is why we're here. This is why you you spent the time to be here on this call. This is why you spent the money to get these recordings. This is why you're here. It's about you. And when you go forward to um, lead and teach and influence, unless you get this internal roommate and these fixed beliefs out of your blood – you won't be able to um, to do those things like I've done. You think, um, I could do what I do only if I, if I overcome my physiology, right? So that's really the context of this call is understanding your physiology, observing and evaluating and trying to change your physiology and your relationship with fear, so let's get into something kind of interesting right now and kind of fun so we'll we'll talk about the brain and I'm tr- going to try to be very careful about the terms I use, but many of these things you can go and look up later if you'd like to so the brain is is what is considered um, a reptilian brain when God created life so long ago um, the first part of the brain that forms in the womb is called a brainstem, and that is at the very back of your, your neck, kind of where your, your head and your, um, your spine um, come together. So put, put your fingers on that. Put your fingers on that part right there. Um, so that's the brainstem, and it holds instinctual fears. It's about survival. It's about breathing and eating and surviving. Period. It has no other higher function. Okay, it's like a a big old reptilian brain. So maybe you've seen that movie Jurassic Park, right? That was out there. Um, So I, I personally think that the that Chris Pratt was looking like Harrison Ford. Yes, I know that's that's neither here nor there, and not really a part of this call. But there you go. Anyway. He he's training raptors, right? And that couldn't possibly happen because they'd eat them alive, right? They're they're raised there, they're done. So all that is rudimentary, right? Um, those raptors would not be um, able to be trained because they are only operating in their reptilian brain. So flash forward to now, and we have reptiles, and you can't really love a reptile, right? Although maybe my son would have an argument for that, but then again, he's 13 now, and he has an argument for everything. So, um, but it doesn't really know the emotion of love. You, You can't call it by name and have it come to you, right? It doesn't have the capacity. You can't really love a snake, right? Now, on the beaches in Florida, I love seeing this every year. They have these big, beautiful sea turtles come out onto the beach, right? And I I think you really know the meaning of God when you see a turtle lay its eggs, right? But the thing is that you can shine a flashlight on this turtle before it comes and commits to laying the eggs, and what will happen is it will turn around and drop all the eggs in the ocean and go back. It's done, right? It's operating from a, a brain stem. You shine a light while it's committed, and it will drop the eggs, but it may never cover them up good, right? That's why they come at night, and it may never cover them up good, and then the birds are going to get them or the wind's going to get them, and that's the reptilian brain. That is all there is. It's a brainstem. So they don't think about what they're doing. They're just reacting. So then what happens? Well, the second part of the brain is formed, um, and, and God created this part of the brain in mammals, and it's a part called the amygdala. Um, It comes from the Greek word for nut. Um, If you look at a picture, if you search amygdala, um, you'll find um, it it does look kind of like a walnut. Um, So amygdala is like a storage area for fear, and it can't be wiped away. So if you remember the stick chick drawing, maybe you've heard that on another call that we've talked about, this is the kind of the non-conscious brain. Once you've accepted this fear, it doesn't go away. Um, So the amygdala is a storage area for all fear. And literally it's based on survival. Um, It also conceptualizes anything that's threatening. So, you know, you don't have to get hit by a truck to get out of the way of the truck right? That's stored in the amygdala as well. So the interesting thing about the amygdala is that when it fires, it triggers an interesting type of response. Um, It triggers the endocrine system, and the endocrine system secretes hormones. The hormones that are secreted are the primary survival hormones called adrenaline and cortisol. The hormones are secreted in the primary – they're the primary survival hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. Now, that's really good because back – way back when in caveman days, right, um, that's all there was. And what happens when they fire, when these hormones fire, is the same thing that happened to me um, before I got up, you know, many times to speak. Um, the same thing that happens to you when you, you go to speak or, or maybe to run a meeting or do something that you think that um, is scary, right? So your, your heart rate increases, your blood sugar goes up, your pupils dilate, your peripheral vision goes into this what we call tunnel vision. Um, the blood in your body is actually shifted from your um, peripheral so like your arms and your legs, to the central part, so that's in your your core, right? It's a fight-or-flight response, right? And maybe you've had some insomnia or jitteriness, right? And honestly, this is great if you're a caveman because a caveman is all about survival, right? Either you fight a saber-toothed tiger and win and have food for your drive, and then you sleep 12 to 15 hours, right? Because it takes 12 to 15 hours for this to get out of your system. Or you get killed by the saber-toothed tiger, right? So this process of surviving is really what has kept us as humans alive for so many years. But think about that. You're, you're going to give a speech, or maybe you've never given a speech before, or it's just something that continues to be scary for you and as you go through you you um maybe the night before you can't sleep right um and you're having all of these physical reactions and it takes 12 to 15 hours for that to go out of your system just think about that now you know we touched a little bit based on um you know my friend who has kind of had this um, chemical response and she's creating new beliefs out of this chemical response, right? So listen to this. Modern man has more abstract fears, much more abstract fears. So we sit in front of computers, we look at our text messages, we look at emails, we listen to voicemails, right? We watch our tweets and our Facebook, our social media, and we wonder why we can't pay the mortgage, right? Why we can't sell what we need to sell, why we can't, you know, influence this group to do what you need them to do. Um maybe what's going on at home, right? So 24/7 we are firing this amygdala. We have become reptilian in our behaviors, and there's a price to pay for that neurochemically. There's a price to pay for that. It's a, it's essentially a fear and the conductor is the reptilian brain, the brainstem, and the amygdala. So this is physically happening, right? Well, so there's a third part of the brain that develops. And when that brain is developed, there's a connection between um, the amygdala. And the interesting thing is it's the frontal lobe. Um, so the frontal lobe, if, if you just put your hands on your forehead, you know, this is where your frontal lobe. And, and it actually becomes bigger and bigger, um, much more than the other parts of the brain, okay? So as we progress, this frontal lobe became bigger and bigger and bigger. And from the hedgehog, the rat, the lemurs, the monkeys, um, but it, as human beings, we're the only mammal that has the ability for that frontal lobe to control its physiology, Okay, you can actually control it. There's a connection between the amygdala and the frontal lobe. Um, You know, in early childhood, there's this um, movement, it's called conscious discipline. And within that movement, it seeks to really educate um, parents, um, providers, teachers, uh, an understanding of what happens in the brain. And so one of the very basic things that we know is that when a child is having what what we affectionately call in our home, a moment, um, they are literally in their, their brainstem, their fight or flight or freeze reflex. Now, here's what we know is that the frontal lobe over by your forehead, that is where all of the logic and reasoning is located. When a child is in fight or flight or freeze, there is no logic. And so you're literally wasting your breath by trying to get them to talk about what's going on. Until they're able to come out of that response, then you can begin talking to them. And see, what happens is over time as we're having these conversations, you're trying to control or, or trying to teach the, the frontal lobe, how to connect with the amygdala and actually change your physiology over time so that you're having less and less reactions. Think about that. So there really is a connection between the amygdala and the frontal lobe. And, you know, this was really researched and discovered about 10 years ago, um, which in science terms was a long time ago. Um, And that connection is um, that there's about a quarter second lag between the amygdala firing and the frontal lobe to be activated. So what does that mean? That means that you basically may think a quarter of a second is nothing, but it's actually a lifetime in terms of your physiology. That's a lifetime that keeps you from reacting, right? So think about this. Sending an email out that's vicious because you didn't like what you got, right? Or it's one that keeps you from touching something that you don't like or that's going to hurt you. Or it's something that keeps you from taking a gun and going to a movie theater and shooting people, right? That quarter-second lag. You keep letting the amygdala fire, and what happens to your physiology is that you lose that connection. It becomes kind of a blind loop, and you get what some people call a hot amygdala. And more and more people are turning into that lately. Um, Maybe somebody on this call, right? People are turning into that. Um, Somebody we're working with, for sure. This is what life in 2017 has done to us. But I'm here to tell you that you can change your physiology. You know about it, and you can change your physiology. So what does that frontal lobe do? Well, the neocortex is in the frontal lobe. Um, This is the side of intellect. It's the side of cognition. It includes long-term memory storage, and it can link intellect with intuition and self-conscious. And we can actually train that. It, it, it's what I tell my husband is the filter, right? It's like somebody saying to you when you get a false response, like something bad has happened, and you go, oh, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Just relax. That's what the neocortex can do. That is really, truly amazing. Um, otherwise, we become, um, well, we've all become a victim of our physiology, right? So the ultimate reward for all this, um, and again, this is evidence-based medicine, right? Um, the ultimate reward is that we can become all-knowing, all-being, all-perceiving. You can develop yourself to the point where you could have the ultimate reward, right? Dreaming and realizing your dream, realizing it, not just hoping. Um So we're we're actually there now. Science has shown that. We really are there. If you understand these principles, you can actually live the life that you want to live. You don't have to be stuck in that reptilian brain. Okay, so let's talk about how we develop the ego mind, Um, this ego mind, the voice that keeps talking, the thing that you can't get to shut up, literally. Um, It's not who you are. And so if you think of a child as basically a blank slate, now let me me just, in terms of of this, kind of share my thoughts. I don't believe that children come to us completely blank. I do believe that God instills in them that they're all spiritual beings, right, gifted with intellect, living in a physical body. And I know, having three children, that when each of them was born, they were each very different children, right? Um, My son, when he was born, he was just this chubby little guy and just happy as can be and and loved life and loved to be around people. Um, And when my daughter Hannah was born, um, she was just a little more difficult. You know, She, as long as I could figure out what she wanted in the moment, we were okay, but if I couldn't figure that out, she would let us know, right? And then my youngest, Ellie, um, she just turned eight, and she's still this way. She's, again, just a, a happy kid, loves to be around people, um, and, and she generally didn't fuss much. And so I know that they're not completely blank when they come to us, but I want us to just kind of be open as far as um, this idea of a blank slate, okay? So let's let's go back a little bit. The, the blank slate changes completely when there's fear. And out of fear, for the most part, comes belief systems. And out of belief systems, of course, come our behavior. So you have fear, belief, behavior. So if the child is a blank slate, as far as fear is concerned, fear is creating their beliefs over time. So the ego mind, which is reptilian, buys that and stores it and behaviors kind of ensue from that. You all have your own individual ego minds, um, your internal roommates. It's different than your true personality. It's very different. And when I say mind, I'm going to talk now about the ego mind. So it's an organ system. Its function is really to protect you and and take sequential moments of now, and stores them. The purpose of mind is to survive itself throughout time, period. That's it. And and to survive, you need air, right? So about 9,500,000 inspirations and expirations a year, give or take. It needs food and nutrients, and it also needs love. Maybe you remember those studies with the rhesus monkeys and and the holding of the cloth, um, mimicking a mom, or maybe you've heard or read about the Russian babies um, in their orphanages and being in their cribs and they and they don't get attention, you know, for six months, right? They 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 might get a bottle, but they don't get attention, love. And they start to lose the occipital lobe, and a lot of them actually go blind, right? Um, A lot of them are diagnosed autistic because the brain doesn't develop. So the mind needs air, food, and love. And I'm here to tell you evidence-based medicine, and it'll sacrifice all of this for one thing, and we all know about that. It'll sacrifice all of this to be right. To be right well what does that mean what about um, the religious zealous what about war what about those fixed beliefs the mind will sacrifice all that to be right you know I, I was um, had the the pleasure this past week to attend um, a simulcast of the uh, global leadership summit with Bill Hybels out of the Willow Creek Association and there was a speaker there, and she was talking about her experience as she survived the genocide in Rwanda so many years ago. And she described um, kind of what happened in her community as, as people were um, revving up to this event. And I just kept thinking about this idea that we make certain things okay to do because we have to be Right in our fixed belief. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're going down that quote unquote slippery road because we just have to be right. So the mind will sacrifice all that to be right. And the fear that creates that rightness, I challenge anybody to tell me the different categories. It's almost always I'm not enough or. I don't have enough. So think about that. It's identity, I'm not enough, or I don't have enough. And for me, um, maybe it's I don't have enough appreciation or love or affection. You know, that voice that keeps saying, give me more, give me more, right? But when you look outside of you for that, it's going to work out right? You've got to find it in yourself. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. So let's go back to, um, and I'll give you an example. And this is really from my business of how you can shape a person based on this ego mind. So this client of mine, she's an author. She's, um, She's young. She's about 33 years old. And about three months ago, she came to me with some needs and we we really got started to talk and you know we do that we talk talking about her life and and how she's an author and she gave me this story she related it to me very very clearly she explained that when she was three years old her mom was and I had permission to tell this story just not her name so just so you know that so she was three years old and her mom was a single mom, and they went to um, a Seven Eleven convenience store, and at the time they lived in Atlanta, and she was holding on to her mom, and in comes a good-looking guy with a leather coat. Um, it's like late autumn, and, and he had a shoulder holster with a gun, and this little girl saw it, and, and she reached up, and this gentleman was um, a drug enforcement agent and he was there for a sting and his partner was actually in the car outside and backup was a couple of miles away and they were going to do a drug bust because that particular 7-eleven store is where all of this was happening right and the person that they were going to bust kind of walked in and so the the little girl saw the young man with the shoulder holster and she said and now as a three-year-old in her brain right she knows the guns are bad and so she saw the the DEA agent and she got upset right she started pulling on her mom and her mom is you know busy doing stuff and and this little girl pulls on her even more and in that moment she started to create her beliefs and something went on there where the suspect caught wind of the person outside and realized that something was not right for him. And all of a sudden, you know, he grabs the mom and the girl. And he puts the gun to the mom's back. And, you know, this this is what she's relating to me. Now, the DEA agent grabs the little girl. Now, this little girl thinks that he's bad. And now he tells her, no, 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 I'm here to help you. I'm here to to assist you. I'm here to keep you alive. Well, so they eventually overtook the suspect, and they got him behind the counter, and they called the police. And anyway, the, the agent became, you know, involved with the mom for almost 10 years and was really integral in, in this girl's life. And unfortunately, he wound up getting killed in another bus years later, and, you know, by, because of that, he obviously left this little girl. Now, I tell you that because this woman, my client, was telling me how she's had multiple relationships, some of them involving policemen, um, some of them looking just like the guy, you know, that was busted with the long ponytail, and these relationships, um, they keep leaving her, right? Think about that. All this is basically what's occurring in the ego mind, right? It occurs all the time and it doesn't go away. The ego mind is your perpetual internal remain. So this, this client of mine had no understanding of why she couldn't keep this relationship. She had no understanding of why she was so drawn to policemen or why people left her. And then when she began to relate this story about what happened to her when she was three years old and she was in such a state of fear that created the belief system, that created the behaviors, she was then able to observe her thinking from that point on, and and now she's in the process of really thinking about How can I have the life that I want, that I desire, that I dream, instead of getting stuck in this pattern of behavior, right? So the ego mind, um, its reptilian nature is about survival, but it's the voice that doesn't stop. It's the voice that just evaluates. If you stop and attempt to even be at peace, what will happen? that voice will start talking to you and say what's wrong with you what's the matter with you right it'll continue to fire continue to change you neurochemically okay ever i have this experience you're you're doing great and then all of a sudden that that voice comes to you and you're like hey wait a minute what what's going on here i was doing fine so One of the things that um, I learned from early childhood, and and some of you might have heard this, um, I truly believe parents do the very best they can for their children based on what they have and what they know. Um, Unfortunately, my parents did not have a lot, and they didn't know a lot, and they consequently did not have a lot of support around them. And because of that, I found myself very young to be in uh, a few situations that were not good for anybody, let alone a three or four-year-old child. So there was some significant um, abuse and neglect and definitely poverty, right? Now, throughout those times, what I learned through those moments, much like my client just shared, is that in order to stay safe, you need to be small, still, and quiet. Now, during those times, That actually, that belief system did keep me safe because it taught me you need to be very aware of your circumstances, you need to know who's in the room and who's not, you need to be hyper-vigilant of what's going on in order to stay safe. Now, contrast that with what I do in my work as a speaker, a trainer, and a coach. Can that belief stay within me and have me be successful as a speaker? When I'm getting up to do a keynote presentation, and I I do have that belief still come back to me a little bit. You know, who do you think you are? And this, you're putting yourself out there. You're not going to be safe. People are going to make fun of you. You're going to get hurt in some way. I know that that thought is coming. Why do I know that thought's coming? Because not only because I understand what I'm sharing with you today, but because I've experienced it over and over and over again. And every single time I do some sort of speaking engagement or even running a meeting or doing a class, I have some version of that internal roommate that comes to tell me that I shouldn't be doing this. And I know it's coming. And so now I've been able to get to the point where I not only know it's coming, but I I know how to address it. Okay? So that's the power of this internal mind. Before, it would have kept me from going out and doing these things because I didn't realize that I had control over that connection between the amygdala and my frontal lobe. Before, When I was trying to feel that connection between the amygdala, when the amygdala fired and it went to the frontal lobe and it told me, no, don't do this, it immediately sent me back to my brainstem of, I need to survive. I can't possibly go out there and do that. Are you kidding? I can't make that phone call. I can't schedule that class on my calendar. I can't talk to that person but now we know that I actually have control over that process so this is an example of what the brain will tell you your internal roommate is the person inside of the ego mind that never ever ever shuts up and see the problem is that it always has a problem it always looks outside of you for answers I mean It'll always have problems every single time you listen to it. It will never tell you anything positive. So think about this for a minute. When was the last time you didn't have a problem, right? When, When one problem left, another one came, right? Because you're always going to have a problem. It's never going to go away. You're, you're locked inside of a, a maniac, right? An absolute maniac. And the, and the amazing thing is that if you personify it, you say, I don't want to be cruel to that person. I don't want to be even next to that person. And instead, you blindly listen to that person, right? You listen to them all the time, all the time, right? That person tells you, you can't lead, you can't influence, you can't Make what you want to make if you're stuck in your belief system with your ego mind. But, but, you can change your physiology. Neurochemically, you can actually change it. So I'm here to tell you, I'm giving it to you. And and what we know is if you succumb to it, if you don't choose to be responsible, right, to be positive and look within – you will destroy that tract that then rides from the amygdala up to the parietal cortex. And in the last few years, they have done some MRI and MRA studies where they found people in high-stress jobs have big amygdalas, like really big, fat amygdalas. And it's a wide loop that you can't get out of. Um, and, And maybe you've seen what's called a hot amygdala person, right? The ones that, say um, man, I don't know why I did that, or I can't believe I did that, or I don't know why I said that, right? You know, everyone has an example of a hot amygdala. Maybe you are that hot amygdala, right? And sometimes a hot amygdala will say some things that are not good. So how do we fix it? Well, really, for me, I found that spiritual tools – um, these are the tools that we can use. Um, these tools that have been proven, and they're tools to quiet the ego mind. So my question is, do you really want to break through? Do you really want to? Well, you know, we've already talked about it. Gratitude and appreciation. Gratitude and appreciation. Well, you've got to get in the moment to really feel gratitude and appreciation. So there, there are different parts of your brain. Um, the amygdala holds that fear, right? And your, your, your frontal lobe, if you can get in the moment and control your frontal lobe to be grateful and thankful, you literally cannot use your amygdala and your frontal lobe at the same time. You just can't. So think about that. If you're in this fear moment, you are using one part of your brain. You can notice that, you can observe that, and you can say, "Nope, I choose to use a different part of my brain." So, if you want to feel gratitude, you you Can't do what I want to do, what I was doing. You can't get it from from outside, right? You've got to become the flow. You've got to be the distributor. You've got to be kind of the manufacturer of gratitude. It's it's like having some seeds, putting them in the ground, and saying, you know what, seeds, I'm going to reward you after you produce vegetables, right? That doesn't work. The closer you are to the flow the more you get back. So you want gratitude? You've got to become a gratitude manufacturer, right? You become a cheerleader. You're the one out there. Put the gratitude out to other people. This isn't something that you, you get. It's something you create. And trust me, when you put the gratitude out to other people, it comes back. It always comes back. So if you want appreciation, go out there and appreciate other people. It'll come back to you. It'll come back to you and you will quiet that ego mind that gets stuck in that loop. Because, you see, you can't lead and influence um, if you have that ego mind, right? It's going to destroy it. It It will be reptilian in its destruction. You know, I shared, honestly, um, a little bit about myself with you, right? And didn't that help you get out of your head a little bit, right? It certainly kept me in the moment. And at my age, (laughs) I know I'm not that old, but sometimes it seems that at my age, life is not always about what's next, what's next, what's next. Um, It's either what's next or, you know, you missed it. (laughs) The past is history. Being in the moment is what kills the leaps. Being in the moment, and for the most part, you know, we're, we're in the moment right now. For the most part, you're, you're listening on this call. You're, I'm, I'm hoping, taking really good notes, and, and you're in this moment right now. So, self-disclosure is another thing that you can do. Um, go out there and start sharing your story with other people, right? That's, that's. Being in the moment, being grateful for the journey that you're on, and you can't be stuck in fear when you're out sharing with other people. Also, feedback. Be open for feedback. Um, You may not like the feedback you get, right? You may not like that, but if you use your tools and say, what part of you is active? What part of me has kind of low self-esteem? What part of me feels selfish? You'll be able to kind of get where you want to go. And I'm sure you've all shared um, part of yourself with someone else, right? So share your, your life, that, that power of vulnerability. There really is power in being vulnerable. So get to the moment, right? There are other tools that you can use. You can use your rhythmic breathing, right? Um, maybe you've done yoga before, that four in your nose and five out, right? you can take your pulse. Yep. And if it gets really bad, you know, excuse yourself, go to the bathroom and just take your pulse, right? Go in go into the bathroom, sit down, take your pulse. Um it'll get you out of all of that before you you fire before the amygdala fires, right? <laughs> excuse me. So there there's um one example that happened to me uh about a year and a half ago. Um, I found myself in a situation where I was at a family funeral, and it was for a cousin, um, very unexpected, and she was young. And it was one of those situations where you never want to be in, but then realizing I was also there, um, and there was just a lot of a lot of opportunities for my amygdala to fire. Let's just say that, you know, maybe some of you know that sometimes being with family is, is not all that peaceful, right? Um, and so I had to take opportunity to really do this for myself. Um, when I felt like I was getting a little out of control, I would go to the restroom and I actually had a, um, a note card with some prayer verses on it and Um, started praying but I was doing my um, breathing in and out and I was really thinking about what do I want to create here today what is my job for being here today it has nothing to do about me so I was really training myself to be in the moment and um, stay present so another thing to help with that is meditation right it's it's really amazing to work out the negative forces um, if you could meditate, it changes your neurophysiology. It gets through the moment. It's, it's going to happen to you, if not tonight, tomorrow. The next time you go to the, the airport, you get on the road, right, something's going to go wrong, and you're going to notice it. You're going to notice your reptilian in your behavior. So you're, you're not yourself when you're a reptile, right? Trust me. You're not yourself when you're a reptile, so try not to be a reptile. <laughs> so there's there's been um, a research study in universities and medical schools on stress, really, on on stress because chronic fear creates chronic stress and it causes inflammation. And so what have they kind of determined? Well. It's caused without question cardiac arrhythmia, high blood pressure, immune suppression, gastrointestinal ailments, right? And those are the highest cause of going to the doctor, GI complaints, um, anxiety. We take more SSRIs, anti-anxiety medicines, than anybody else anywhere. This is just crazy, right? Sleep disorders, defensiveness, isolation, sexual dysfunction. All these things because we become reptilian and we don't pay attention to our physiology part. So this is about your personal transformation. This is about you, not about me. I'm in it with you and I'll certainly share my dream with you anytime, right? But there's something that I want to share with you here, fear. F-E-A-R. Maybe you've heard this before. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. (laughs) I just wrote something today about that on a, a different note for fear. So listen to this one. Furious. Erroneous. Assertions. Realized. Furious erroneous assertions realized think about that furious erroneous assertions realized now you get what you put out there right the one I like the most keep smiling and life will get tired of upsetting you right that's your physiology when you even smile your, your, um, what are called your mimetic muscles in a smile, release oxytocin and it changes. Guys, listen, this isn't just, you know, looking at the world, um, through rose-colored glasses. This isn't just having, you know, optimism all the time. This is about training your brain to see the good, training your brain to be grateful and thankful. And see, what what happens is the realization, right, once, once you um, have success, it's the realization of a worthy goal. We all have our worthy goals. And wherever you are right now, the road to success is always under construction, right? But you can realize a huge transformation in your life regardless of what goals or results that you're looking for. You really, truly can. And and so if we can look at the difference between going towards our results and our outcomes and, and thinking about the transformation that we're having on our journey, then it doesn't really matter if we have those outcomes, does it? Think about that. Here, Here's an example. Again, I'll share a little bit about about my my story with you, and maybe you'll connect with this. Maybe you won't. But what I'd really like you to do is just be in the moment and listen to the story, okay? So my husband, uh, I've just told you, 15 years, and he's a great guy. He really is, and I'm so proud of him. Um, but I've got to tell you, in the last year, things have become very difficult. I have been on a, a huge journey of transformation for myself and really delving deep into some of these concepts and You know, just thinking about the last three calls that we've had and and the big ideas that we've really thought about. And when you begin to really put those things into practice and notice for yourself who you are and also think about who you'd like to be and how you're going to work on that, that's a process of transformation that when you are in a relationship such as a marriage, and it's a high stakes relationship, especially when you have three kids, right? If your your partner is not growing, now we have a problem, right? And so there were many things that I noticed that have, quite frankly, been habits, traditions um, in our marriage that I realized I was not okay with anymore because my awareness had changed. And I realized that there were certain behaviors for my children that I was not okay with because I knew it wouldn't serve them well in their life. And so as we're going through this process and really kind of trying to discuss things and, you know, myself trying to lay down some boundaries and say this isn't okay anymore or this is what I need, um, a lot of anger, a lot of fears, right, Um, a lot of hot amygdala moments. And as we've been journeying this past year, I have been able to realize when my amygdala was hot and trying to make that connection with my frontal lobe and saying, I have a choice right now. I have a choice to look at this and say, you know what, this is the reason, this is the excuse for why I'm acting this way, and I am fully justified. And I also had the choice to say, what's my responsibility in this? You know, I'm not responsible for his anger, for his feelings, for his behavior. However, I am responsible for how I interpret that. And so there there came a time, actually a few months ago, where, um, you know, as I was seeing my own therapist, kind of um, trying to get outside of myself of this, realizing nothing was going to change with my husband until he understood where I was at. And so I, I basically, you know, had, had said within our joint counseling that, you know, here's where we're at. Um, I need to see some change. I need to know that you are in this, that you are committed to me, that you are committed to our family, that you are wanting and willing to, to look at yourself and be responsible for yourself. And if you're not, and, and that's your choice, If you're not, then we need to talk about next steps. And let me tell you, that was the scariest moment I think I've had in my life, but also the peaceful, the most peaceful moment because I knew for me that's what was needed. And so I chose to, in the moment, be grateful that God was going to work out my marriage and be thankful that I've had so much time and so much realization to put into this journey for myself and then it was just a matter of waiting and I, I am happy to report today that my husband made the decision to begin to be more responsible for himself um, to begin to think through and not with me because that's not my job but with his coach with his counselor to begin thinking through the fears that are really driving his behavior, his beliefs. And, you know, of course, nothing is perfect, right? I mean, our marriage is more perfect right now in this moment than it ever has been. Um, And we are developing that, right? And I'm so excited to see where this will go. And so this is that connection between You can make those excuses for not getting results, for um, acting the way that you act, for thinking the way that you think, or just maybe you could choose another option and say, hmm, what is going on in my body and my brain and my psyche right now, and I'm going to take responsibility for that, and I'm going to switch my thinking around. And I'm going to change my belief system. And I'm going to think about where am I at in my awareness level right now, right? So you're combining these last three calls that we've had and really thinking about how can I make my life different? And you see, when you choose to focus on yourself and changing your physiology, changing your belief systems, becoming more aware, does it really matter? if you don't get the outcomes or the results that you were looking for? Because I can tell you right now, if my husband had made the choice and said, you know what, this is too hard. I don't know that I can live this life. I don't want to change. Then I'd have to look at it and I'd have to say, okay, that's where we're at. Would that be the outcome that I wanted? Absolutely not. But that would be his choice, right? That's what I'm talking about. Are you going to choose to worship at the altar of results? Or are you going to choose this transformational process of really looking at yourself and saying, what can I do right now? Because I promise you that when you do that, you are going to go beyond all of the results or the outcomes that you want to see in your life and then some. Now take a breath and let's think for a minute as we're we're wrapping up here. I'd like you to just think for a minute. Gratitude and appreciation versus fear gratitude and appreciation versus fear so these use two different parts of the brain you can't use them at the same time you can actually change your physiology you can train yourself over time to switch your thinking you can begin practicing this even now you do that through those those um, breathing techniques, through um, checking on your pulse, through um, meditation, right? So think about that. How could you use this in your life? even today, right? Even today. How could you use this? Is there an opportunity where you might have that you know, hey, um either a meeting I'm coming up or a family event I have coming up, I know that, you know, I'm 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 prone to, right? I've had a habit in the past of having an issue. How could you use these principles to break through and get unstuck? Okay, so that's obviously something that you're going to want to have to go back and and, and really think through and maybe even listen to this call again and um, try to gain some more insight on that. Um, please, please, please let me know um, if this is something that you are looking to really progress in and would like to um, just think about and would like a coach. I'm I'm available for that. I would love to help you in that journey. Okay? So as as we're concluding here, um, go back to the original, um, the first part of your notes and just, just review the, the purpose of the goal that you had for being on this call. Did you see what you needed to see? You know, I, I asked this question Because when you write down what you need to see, what you need to focus on, and then you come back and you say, yes, that's exactly what I needed to see, what you're doing is you're training your brain to do this process over and over and over again. Because as Ralph Waldo Emerson says, where your focus goes, your energy flows. You can do this with everything, not just with these calls. You can do this at a meeting. You can do this in a conversation. You can even do this when you're watching TV. There are certain shows that I love to watch. I was explaining this to my husband the other day. there's certain shows I love to watch because I'm looking for teamwork principles. There's another one I love to watch because I'm looking for thinking principles and there's a, a, I watched a series of, of movies a few weeks ago that um, I was looking for laws of creation in them so you can train your brain to see something just by writing down what your purpose is. And now look at, look at what you wrote down for being grateful today. Can you add anything else to that list? Now remember what we said about being grateful, that you're, you're training yourself to be in the moment. And when you train yourself to be in the moment, what what happens is that your brain opens up and you begin to see possibilities and opportunities. And remember, you're using that part of your brain that does not include fear. So you can also train yourself to do this. So right now, um, whether you write it down or whether you go through your notes and circle, I'd like you to just identify two Aha ideas or moments that you had while you were listening. Over two aha. And now this is really important because you're going to set the intention for what you're going to do after this call. I'd like to, you to think about what is one thing that you would like to try because of this call? What's one thing you'd like to try? Also, think about what is one thing that you would like to share with somebody, right? We talked about kind of getting out of our ego mind and and, um, being vulnerable. Is there a story that you'd like to share with somebody? So I, I really hope that These three recordings um, have been a blessing to you. I really hope that they have stirred something deep inside you, Um, everything from wanting to increase your awareness to changing your belief system to understanding this connection between your body and your brain and your psyche all together. I also realize that this has been a ton of information And so I would like to just offer up to you um, the uh, opportunity to just connect with me, whether it be through my email. Um, Some of you know that. My email is growbyone, G-R-O-W-B-Y, the number one, at gmail.com, or through social media. And you can either look up Michelle Burkhardt or Grow By One. Um, These are some places that are, are just further ways for you to connect. And, you know... I just have not had enough time to really share with you everything that I could, and I know some of you are like, "Oh my gosh, Michelle, what you know, what more could you possibly share?" Um, I wish I could spend more time with you. I really do. Um, if this is something that you're you're looking um, for as well, um, please get in contact with me. Um, one of the easiest ways um, is through my empowerment mentoring program. And really, that's a a series of 12 recorded calls that focus on ideas like we've talked about, like gratitude, um, the comfort zone, and the terror barrier, and understanding that you are perfect, and even forgiveness, right? So there's 12 calls that really delve deep into these um, things that will help you to change your thinking over time. Um, You may choose to do just the recorded calls, or you also may choose to add in um, the coaching aspect to it as well. So one week you'd get a call, and the next week we would do a coaching session where we'd just be talking about how does this really apply to you. If that's something that you're interested in, please email me. Um, I would be glad to talk to you about that and how we might fit that into your life. Um, And also, this is something that I would love, love, love. If you could email me and give me some feedback about what this has done for you, um, I would love to hear that. That's something I I don't often get. Um, I often get to go and and kind of plant seeds in places and, and maybe have some conversations, but not often do I hear the feedback of how it has helped. And so I would love to know how your thinking has changed and where you're at right now and maybe even what your thoughts are for the future. So if that's something that um, you would like to do, it could be something as simple as sending me, you know, the two aha's that you had from every call. Um, I would love to hear that. So I I hope this has really added value to you. Um, I thank you so much for taking time to invest in yourself, um, for for just recognizing that you are important. And that you would like to be more. Because I know that when you are more, the people around you are more. So thank you for that. And thank you for supporting this work. Um, it's been a pleasure to be able to kind of lead you in some of this thought that I've, I've been thinking for, for several months. I am working on some really cool stuff coming out soon, and I'll definitely let you know. Um, it's exciting when we get to get together as a tribe and really learn and grow together. And so with that, I say thank you one last time, and I release you out into the wild, and I pray that you will go forth and prosper. And as always, blessings and live love.